Lawyers have been trusting third parties uh, with confidential client data um, for a long time, and cloud computing, I think, is just a new uh, technological instance of, of trusting third parties with data. But at the end of the day, there's really nothing new about cloud computing. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Craig Williams from a partly sunny Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrosi coming to you from Massachusetts, where we prefer not to talk about the weather at all. Uh, I write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law. You Craig? realize, Bob, that's why I keep talking about it. So we have, um, I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. Bob, I know you write some blogs. Uh, yep. I, I, and I think I you just mentioned them, by the way. So we're going to move on and thank our sponsors, SunTrust, who offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and legal firms at suntrust.com slash law and Clio, which is a web-based practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com. Cloud computing has become the talk of bar associations across the nation and is creating a buzz in the legal world. North Carolina is the first in North America to study the ethics of using cloud computing or software as a service, SaaS, in a law firm. The North Carolina State Bar has just finished drafting a proposed formal ethics opinion that allows the use of cloud computing in a law office. Well, uh, what does this mean to lawyers? Uh, We're going to talk more about this today on Lawyer to Lawyer with guests who are experts on uh, on both the North Carolina situation and on cloud computing more generally. Uh, joining us first today is attorney Alice and mine. Alice is senior ethics counsel and assistant executive director for the North Carolina State Bar. Alice practiced law in Durham from 1985 to 1993, concentrating in the areas of employment law and transactions. She joined the staff of the State Bar as Assistant Executive Director, uh, in which capacity she is Staff Counsel of the Ethics Committee, Director of the Board of Legal Specialization, Director of the Board of Continuing Legal Education, and Director of the Board of Paralegal Certification. Alice is also an adjunct professor at Duke University School of Law. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Alice Mine. Thank you. Well, Bob, our next guest, and we're going to welcome Jack Newton. He is the co-founder and president of Clio and has over 10 years of experience building startups and web applications and holds three software-related patents in the United States and the EU. Jack has written and spoken on cloud computing in general and specifically on the ethics, privacy, and security issues relating to the use of cloud computing in the legal market. And as responsible podcasters, we are going to give you a full disclosure that Clio is a supporter of this program. And with that, we'd like to welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Jack Newton. Glad to be here. Well, Jack, let's start with you. Um, since you're the you know, the patent holder and you understand this probably better than most of us, um, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of an explanation, kind of the ground rules of how cloud computing works? 
Uh, well, just to be uh, uh, clear, patents I, uh, I have don't actually relate at all to uh, cloud computing. Uh, but cloud computing is, uh, you know, certainly a really exciting development in the world of uh, technology in general, and its effects are starting to be felt in the uh, the legal technology community as well. And cloud computing is, uh, you know, I, I think certainly a buzzword right now that we're we're hearing more and more of, and it's an evolution of the term software as a service, uh, which we've you know been hearing for the last few years, uh, which in turn is an evolution of the term uh, application service. Provider. Provider or ASP that we uh, heard a lot about in the the 1990s. So these are all evolutions of a core concept, uh, and that core concept is is fairly straightforward. It's the idea that data and software uh, for your company or for your firm uh, is being hosted and run by a third party at a remote location, uh, rather than being hosted and run on premise. So um, while that might seem like an abstract kind of concept, uh, to make it slightly more concrete, if you're using services like Gmail, if you're using online banking, if you're using uh, even Amazon.com, these would be all examples of, uh, of software as a service or cloud computing that uh, mean you don't have to install any software on your computer to use it, and you can, generally speaking, uh, access the software and use the software over a web browser. Well, Alice, uh, tell us about the ethics inquiry uh, that you dealt with in uh, in North Carolina. I mean, what what are perhaps you could start by talking about what the ethical issues uh, might even be involving cloud computing? Why is this an ethics issue at all? Um, first, let, let me give a little disclaimer, and uh, that is, I think in your introduction, you said that, uh, or might have implied that I have expertise on cloud computing, and and I want to deny any expertise whatsoever on that. <laughs> uh, and in fact, when the state bar received this inquiry, um, that was one of the things that I had to do was to try to educate myself a little bit about what we were talking about. Um, but the, the, essentially, the ethical issues are two. Um, lawyers have, um, in fact, one of our core duties is to protect the information that our clients give us, and it's called our duty of confidentiality. So in a situation where you have client information in your data that you use to um, in your law practice every day, and you're going to be storing that, as Jack described, um, in a remote location, and it's going to be hosted and run by third parties, it creates issues about whether or not you, as the lawyer who has the duty of confidentiality, can fulfill that obligation. And essentially, it's an obligation to prevent the unauthorized disclosure uh, or inadvertent disclosure of client information to third parties. And then a related obligation, but one that um, lawyers may not think of as seriously as they do of their duty of confidentiality, is your duty simply to safeguard client property from damage or destruction or loss. And the information in a client's file, we tend to Lawyers tend to think in terms of paper, but what we're really talking about here is in terms of data. That's still the client's property. And so, once again, if a third party is posting that information, there is a potential risk that it could somehow get lost or destroyed. And so, again, the question is, can a lawyer fulfill her professional obligation with regard to safeguarding client property if a third party is controlling it? And what did you conclude? What decision did you come to regarding that question? Well, um, we have uh, issued a proposed ethics opinion. And um, in North Carolina, we issue our opinions um, 
specifically as proposed opinions initially so we can garner comment from the members of the bar and the members of the public who might be interested. And um, at the last meeting of our ethics committee in April, they issued a proposed opinion, and it's pretty straightforward. It's, it's long, but it really boils down to um, a concept that is consistent with all of our prior opinions in this area of protecting confidential information of a client, and that is that a lawyer has to take reasonable precautions to effectively minimize the risk of inadvertent or unauthorized disclosure, but that no particular mode of handling client data or information is dictated by our rules of professional conduct. Um, and therefore, you can use software as a service as long as you as a lawyer have taken reasonable care to select your vendor um, and to investigate the background such that you know that client confidential information is going to be protected. Um, it's a reasonable care standard. Um, it's not um, a, such a standard that um, you could never let the information leave your hands um, and be hosted by a third party. Jack, let's let's turn to you for a moment here and kind of get an outline of why was this initially a concern? I mean, what is it about cloud computing that uh, raises the ethical issue for lawyers in terms of, I mean, what's the risk, I guess, is really the question. Well, I think that there's not necessarily any new risks being introduced uh, via cloud computing as compared to uh, some of the existing uh, risks that exist in you know the day-to-day uh, of running a law office. Uh, lawyers have been trusting third parties uh, with confidential client data um, for a long time, and cloud computing, I think, is just a new uh, technological instance of, of trusting third parties with data. But at the end of the day, there's really nothing new about cloud computing. You, if you look at uh, say Iron Mountain as an offsite document storage provider. Uh, many lawyers would uh, use Iron Mountain for secure offsite document storage of very sensitive confidential client data, and you know trusting a third party whose expertise is in securing uh, data like that is probably actually more secure than you know leaving uh, boxes of files sitting in your uh, your office, for example. And I think. Uh, cloud computing is is just an instance of of the same kind of philosophy where uh, a cloud computing company or a software as a service company that uh, has built their entire business on providing a secure uh, and private uh, way for clients to manage their data and store confidential client data uh, online is likely going to do a better job of the, of that than uh, you know individual lawyers might might be able to do on their own. And this particular ethics inquiry was not. Uh, Instigated independently by the North Carolina State Bar, it was actually driven by the inquiry of a prospective user of a software as a service program that was seeking guidance from the from the bar in terms of whether it was acceptable to use to use a web-based service to store confidential client data, and that's actually what ended up spawning the the ethics inquiry. And we think that the the guidance and the the proposed ethics opinion that the North Carolina State Bar provided is is actually a really excellent one that that details many of the things a lawyer should be looking for in a cloud computing provider, so that they can they can trust that that cloud computing provider will help. Uh, ensure their confidential their client data is kept confidential. Well, uh, perhaps one of the differences between 
storage in the cloud and, and storage at an offsite vendor or something uh, along those lines is, is that uh, for a lot of lawyers, they, they can understand the, the physical storage better than they can understand uh, the, the cloud storage. And so when the North Carolina bar says that they should be exercising reasonable care uh, regarding the selection of a vendor, uh, how does a lawyer go about doing that? What should they? What questions should they be asking uh, about uh, how their data is going to be handled, Jack? Uh, well, I think that uh, you're you're right, Bob. I mean, first of all, uh, you know, I, I think as Alice mentioned, you know, when she was tasked with the um, uh, forming a, an ethics opinion around this issue, there's a lot of of technical uh, lingo and concepts to understand. Uh, uh, to, to properly even uh, ask a vendor about uh, what services they provide and what they're doing to secure your data. So, I think there's certainly some education uh, that needs to be done in, in terms of bringing yourself up to speed on what some of the key terms and uh, terminology uh, are around cloud computing. One of the, I, I think, excellent things about the, uh, the proposed ethics opinion is it does actually outline a series of questions um, that uh, a lawyer could ask of a cloud computing provider uh, to understand if they're adhering to uh, some of the best practices in the industry uh, in terms of uh, securing and, and locking down data. But I also think that cloud computing providers should be able to provide answers uh, to lawyers asking about what they're doing to uh, secure their data in a way that uh, a layman can understand. If if the answer is completely technical and doesn't make any sense to uh, to you, if you ask a provider what they're doing to secure your data, uh, you should ask them to clarify in, in maybe more straightforward way because the the basic concepts should be fairly readily explained and, and understood by by somebody that doesn't necessarily have a a master's degree in computer science. It, it's something that uh, you know the layman should be able to understand and that. Uh, um, you know, I, I, to give you an example, uh, encryption I think is one of the most important aspects of um, a cloud computing if it's used in the context of a, a law firm. So uh, you encrypt data between uh, the servers and the, the client that's accessing that data. And that basically means that if somebody's eavesdropping on those communications, they can't tell what data is being sent back and forth. Uh, and you want to make sure that anyone uh, that your cloud computing provider is using encryption, and you can tell that they're using encryption by the fact that there's uh, a little lock icon that appears in the address bar of your your web browser. So that's something that you know I think really anyone could understand and look for in a cloud computing provider just by scanning their web browser when they're um, when they're accessing their site. That doesn't necessarily understand require the in-depth understanding of what secure sockets layer or SSL is and and so on. So I, I think it's you know the cloud computing industry's responsibility to communicate how they're securing data in a very clear way without necessarily burying the conversation in in terminology. Well, Alice, as um, in the event that Murphy's Law comes into play here and there is some breach of um, confidentiality, what's the remedy? Well, that, and our ethics opinion doesn't really address that issue. What we're trying to do in the ethics opinion is establish what a lawyer's professional responsibilities are. Um, and, it, and if a lawyer has, in North Carolina, if a lawyer has you know, taken reasonable care to choose a vendor um, to have uh, their a confidentiality agreement with the vendor and those kinds of things that our opinion suggests might be appropriate, 
then the lawyer won't face any professional discipline in North Carolina, even though there is some kind of breach. So there, that's one issue. The lawyer is always going to be concerned about whether or not they've fulfilled their professional responsibilities. But the separate issue I think you may be asking about is liability. And a lawyer may still, you, a lawyer can still, uh, can be fully in compliance with the rules of professional conduct and yet still face liability for malpractice or, in this instance, for failure to protect, fully protect clients' uh, information. Um, and that, I think, might be a question that's going to be answered at some point in the future. I'm not familiar with any lawsuits at this point um, for lawyers who have used software as a service and there's been some kind of breach. And Jack may have some awareness of that. Well, the, the question was really more designed to find out what happens in the event of an inadvertent disclosure. Like in California, occasionally it happens that someone includes, a, a, even in mail, you know, you send out something that's that's confidential to opposing counsel, and there's a series of steps that you're supposed to follow. You immediately demand its return, go to court if necessary, advise the client, so on and so forth. What are the remedies in North Carolina? You know, that's really interesting. I, we actually don't have an opinion that addresses that issue. Um, we have the, an opinion that addresses the issue of when a lawyer receives information from another lawyer that's clear that the lawyer didn't intend for them to receive. It's we call it the inadvertent fax, the best example where you know you send it to the wrong fax number. Um, and, a, and a lawyer in that situation in North Carolina has a duty to notify the lawyer who sent it to her that they've received this document and it was sent inadvertently. But I, we don't have one that deals with the reverse situation of when a lawyer has revealed information himself. Of course, you would have a duty to disclose this to your client. I mean, you would have to tell the client what has happened and discuss with the client the ramifications of this disclosure of information and what steps might be taken to prevent its use. If there's ongoing litigation, you might have to take some action, file some action in court to prevent its use by the other side. Um, those kinds of things would just be a part of your routine response to a failure to fully protect confidential information. Well, Jack, in the e-discovery world, we've seen things like clawback agreements and quick peek agreements and so forth that allow, uh, when you're disclosing or when you're producing, you know, terabytes of data of information that you know that something slips through that you didn't get a chance to review. Um, that allows you to take that back if you reach an agreement with opposing counsel or a or a uh, quick peek agreement, which means that you know you, you're allowed to you can you're allowed to look at things, but it's a different little bit of a story. Are, are any of those kind of agreements applicable in cloud computing? You know, and, and I'm going to let counsel? Jack um, respond a little bit. But in my own mind, it seemed to me that the risk was kind of broader than the standard risk that you have. Um, in when you're in litigation that you improperly, you know, produce something in discovery you didn't intend to produce or you fax something to the wrong person, that kind of thing, where you can clearly identify who the parties are that are, you know, receiving this improperly. It seems to me that the issue with, with the cloud computing is kind of broader than that, that you have the potential for people hacking in um, that are seeking specific information, financial information, so they can use it to, you know, police you, or in domestic cases, a spouse that might be seeking information, that kind of situation, or just disclosures to third parties that are inadvertent, but they discover it's information that might be useful. So to me, it's, this strikes me as being slightly different situations where it's much harder to have an agreement and attempt to control it in advance. Um, with the persons who might receive the information inadvertently. Um, because in this situation, you don't know who might 
uh, gain access to this information. Jack, am I off base? Uh, no, I, I think that I'd completely agree with what you said. The, uh, I should just mention that this, this is uh, proposed 2010 Formal Ethics Opinion 7 uh, is, is uh, the number of it, and it's available at ncbar.gov uh, in, their, in their ethics section of, of that website. And as, as Jack and Alice both said, the, the opinion does lay out uh, a, a set of questions that a lawyer uh, might want to ask uh, with regard to choosing a vendor. Uh, one of the issues I hear lawyers, uh, especially criminal defense lawyers, express concerns about with regard to the cloud is is something that this opinion doesn't address. But it, it's the it's the possibility of of government snooping. I guess uh, the idea that uh, uh, you know if if the government decides to uh, execute a warrant uh, or serve a subpoena on a third party vendor for information, that that vendor might be. Uh, perhaps less likely to uh, uh, stand up to protect the, the, the data as, as uh, the lawyer, uh, him or herself might be if, it were, if those files were in the hands of the lawyer. Uh, is this something, Jack, that, that any of these vendors address in some way in their terms of service? Uh, or, or is that a concern uh, at all that lawyers should be uh, thinking about? Well, I think the uh, it's a good question, and I, I think that it's something that uh, should be uh, asked of a, a cloud computing vendor in terms of uh, what their response would be if there was a, a court order of some kind to release data um, from their from their servers. And uh, you know, our, our policy at Clio is that we would uh, deny any such request and notify uh, the the lawyer who's who owns the data. Uh, that their data is being requested, and that's you know really I think an important uh, philosophical thing uh, that, that may vary from cloud computing provider. From uh, the other, I, I know that uh, Google, for example, has a very similar policy uh, when uh, demands are made of its uh, um, email uh, repositories as well. Um, and I, I think that this is a question that should be asked of uh, of a cloud computing what provider what their uh, response would be, and you could look to have that outlined in a terms of service agreement or in a separate agreement that uh, uh, that you might reach with the, the cloud computing provider as well. And one thing I might add um, with regard to our proposed opinion, the standard is reasonable precautions, but it, it's in, under the circumstances. So, if you have particularly sensitive client information where there is a risk, like you described, that the government might become aware and, and subpoena records from one of the vendors, then you might have a duty not to include that data in your service provision and decide instead that it needs to be hosted on your own internal computers. Um, you always have a duty to evaluate how sensitive and how serious the risk of loss may be for a particular client's interest and take that in mind when you're deciding how you're going to handle confidential information. We're going to take a short break right now. Uh, we will be back to uh, talk more about this issue with Alice Mine and Jack Newton in just a moment. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. 
SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and wading through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com slash legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. Interested in having a show on Legal Talk Network? We'd like to talk to you about building your firm's marketing strategy with legal podcasts. Give us a call at 781-551-9960. That's LegalTalkNetwork.com. Engage your brain. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and listen to all the great legal podcasts. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We are joined by Jack Newton, who is the co-founder and president of Clio, and in the spirit of full disclosure, a sponsor of this program, along with attorney Alice in mind. She is the senior ethics counsel and assistant executive director for the North Carolina State Bar. Well, Alice, uh, you've certainly taken the lead on this one. Do you Have you gotten contacted from other state bars and asked questions about this ethics opinion? Do you Obviously, you're the first. Do you think that uh, you'll be setting the precedent and other people adopting your opinion? I don't really know. Uh, actually, the, the interest that I have um, gotten has been um, primarily from some vendors, um, including Clio, and um, from lawyers across the country who are very interested in law practice management issues. Um, who have written in and, and to a person have been consistent in saying, don't stand in the way of useful technology. Um, don't write an ethics opinion that says, you know, lawyers can't do this. Um, and have recited various different, very good reasons for not doing that. But I haven't gotten any interest um, that has come directly to me from the bars of other states. Uh, I suspect that um, that we will be out there as kind of the first uh, bar to approach this issue and will be looked to for um, our opinion. But I think um, most states, some states are more conservative than others, um, but most states and, and the rules of professional conduct, the model rules of professional conduct from the ABA, establish the same baseline uh, which is that a lawyer has to act competently in protecting client confidences, but that you don't have a duty to um, guarantee that there will never be a disclosure. That would just be ridiculous. So, I think we're just we're just establishing kind of what the standard is under most 
state's versions of the rules of professional conduct, and I suspect if we're not the leader, um, we're still going to find that we're consistent with what most states end up with. Well, Jack, you're obviously, a Clio is obviously available in states other than North Carolina. What kind of reaction are you getting from lawyers in other states as they adopt your software? Uh, well, we see a lot of lawyers ask the the kinds of questions that um, is outlined in the proposed formal ethics opinion from North Carolina, uh, and you know the same basic issues uh, recur in those those inquiries. What are you doing to secure my data? What are you doing to back up my data, and, and so on. And uh, you know, I, I think something that that Alice pointed out that's absolutely correct is there's uh, the rules of professional conduct in most jurisdictions don't say anything about uh, technology. They're supposed to be you know very very long-lived rules, and there's nothing, uh, you know, in those rules that that says that you know cloud computing is in any way, you know, questionable or, or something you need to you know investigate. Uh, there's uh, the same set of risks, and maybe even a greater set of risks uh, if you choose to uh, run your own servers on premise and take on the responsibility of securing uh, those servers as well. So I, I think that uh, the rules of professional conduct do a very good job of of outlining what your responsibility are, and then any particular technology platform you choose will have a certain set of uh, risks and questions you should be asking uh, you know, to ensure that it's the right place to, to store your data. Uh, we got a very positive reaction from you know, across the country, uh, from users all over uh, both uh, the United States, Canada, and elsewhere, uh, that the, the North Carolina ethics opinion was, uh, was what it was, because I think it's regarded as something that uh, will be you know, looked to as a precedent. Uh, in any future opinions that are formed, or, or maybe just as a reference point, since uh, North Carolina has, uh, you know, very similar rules of professional conduct to, to other states, uh, perhaps you know something that can be looked to to obviate the need for a completely independent uh, ethics inquiry in each state regarding the issue of cloud computing. Of course, we cloud computing is an extremely broad term and and uh, used by different people in different ways. And we were we were talking before we started recording about the fact that Arizona. State Bar did have a an ethics uh, opinion uh, talking about a law firm allowing a law firm to use online file storage uh, systems to uh, allow access uh, allow clients to access their files over the internet uh, and uh, the uh, the North Carolina opinion. Uh, uh, mentions that as well, uh, and you know now we've got. Uh, I mean, Microsoft Office has just launched uh, sort of formally in the cloud. Uh, we were reading last week about a law firm uh, that is using Google Docs uh, as its primary uh, office application. Uh, so on, on any number of levels, uh, uh, cloud computing is only going to increase. Uh, Jack, where do you, where do you see this going uh, in terms of its development? In the legal profession, in particular, uh, well, I, I think that uh, you know, obviously, we have a, a horse in this race, but you know, we're pretty firm believers that this is the future of uh, of computing. I think uh, there's no question that uh, cloud computing uh, alleviates a number of headaches uh, for firms of all sizes. Uh, we're right now seeing, uh, you know, huge growth in the adoption of cloud computing in uh, solos and small firms, which uh, I think tend to be a little bit more, uh, you know, agile in terms of de- adopting new technologies. Uh, but you know, at, at Clio, for example, we've been seeing uh, just in the last six months a real increase in uh, interest in uh, cloud computing from mid-size to, to large firms. Some, in some cases, uh, law firms with a, a thousand or more lawyers. So I think we've just in the last year. Re- 
reached a, a tipping point where cloud computing is going to see uh, some very mainstream adoption. We've got, uh, you know, like you said, companies like Microsoft uh, shifting products that have been on the desktop for 20 years uh, into the cloud. And we've, of course, got a, a range of new products, uh, including uh, uh, Google Docs, that were born in the cloud and are only getting uh, bigger and better and more capable uh, every day. So, there's uh, you know, I, I think that cloud computing is is here to stay, and I'm uh, really encouraged by the uh, developments we've seen on the ethics front that basically acknowledge the fact that this is uh, a model of computing that uh, bar associations need to recognize uh, and embrace and provide guidance to their membership on. And if, if I could just follow up on that, um, I, what I it, I told you earlier, I've sort of had to educate myself on this um, whole area because I was so unfamiliar with it. And one thing that I've become convinced of is that, um, given a reputable vendor, that there really is an opportunity here to provide even more security um, for your client data, um, just from the um, fact that you have regular maintenance of the system, you have regular um, security checks and audits, uh, you have redundancy typically, and things that in smaller law firms um, often get overlooked um, because the lawyers don't have time to really pay attention to these management issues. Um, so they, you know, they set up their computer system and fine, it's good to go, and they don't ever think about it again. And what we may see over time is that the standard of care is going to change such that if you don't have time to internally manage um, the access to your data yourself, that to find a qualified vendor is actually what is competent representation of your client and not to just continue to maintain your own system internally. Well, that's an important point, and I think that's often overlooked uh, by a lot of lawyers, especially in smaller firms, that, that they're better off uh, letting somebody else manage this data than trying to do it themselves or, worse yet, not trying to do it themselves. Well, Bob, we've reached the end of the program where it's time to get our, our guests' final thoughts for our listeners. So, if we could, uh, Jack, let's turn to you first and get your final thoughts along with your contact information for our listeners. Sure. Well, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I'd like to thank Alice, first of all, for being uh, so instrumental in uh, forming uh, the ethics opinion. Uh, Alice also created a, a dialogue with uh, the cloud computing providers uh, out there and, and uh, accepted a joint response uh, as well as individual responses from uh, other uh, legal SaaS providers. Uh, so I, I thank Alice for creating a dialogue with the legal SaaS companies. Uh, we submitted a joint response with companies such as VLO Tech, uh, Rocket Matter, and Direct Law uh, to the uh, to the state bar. And I, I thank them for the opportunity for for doing that. And uh, my information, you can contact me if you have any questions. Uh, my email address is jack at goclio.com, and uh, our website is www.goclio.com. Right, well, Alice? Um, just to let folks know, the process in North Carolina is that this is a proposed opinion, and it is going to go back to our ethics committee for further consideration at its July meeting. And one of the criticisms we've received is that um, in the second part of the opinion, where we talk about best practices, we don't actually kind of say specifically what those should be. Instead, we say the lawyer should be able to answer the following series of questions satisfactorily. And the criticism we received is, well, that's not giving folks much guidance. And so, one possible revision of this opinion we may see 
is more specific uh, guidance on some of these issues about, you know, should you have a separate confidentiality agreement with the vendor, et cetera. I personally um, try to discourage micromanagement because I don't think that's helpful to lawyers. I don't think it's the proper role of these ethics opinions, but we still may see a little more specificity uh, in the opinion, so it may be reissued at a subsequent date. And to that end, we would love to receive comments um, from lawyers um, and and non-lawyers as well. Uh, You can send those to me at amine, A-M-I-N-E, at ncbar.gov, and that's amine at ncbar.gov. Great. Well, thank you both very much for being uh, with us today in the program and explaining to our listeners the whys and wherefores of cloud computing along with the ethical issues. And um, Bob? Uh, Well, let me just add my thanks to our guests, uh, Jack and Alice, for taking the time to be with us today and sharing their insights on this issue. Uh, Very informative and very helpful. And I'd like to remind our listeners, of course, that all of our programs are available at thelegaltalknetwork.com and in the podcast section of iTunes. And for our listeners, remember, you can now get CLE credit through West Legal Ed Center for listening to select Legal Talk Network podcasts. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on West Legal Ed Center. Bob, we'll be back again next week to discuss another great legal topic. We'll see you then. Look forward to talking to you then. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.